Welcome back to Raven's Recap. It's finally here. Came the bald and shaven Santa in his purple hat. Delivered the draft picks 2022 for the Ravens. We're thrilled. Everyone's thrilled. Everyone in the NFL world says the Ravens crushed the draft. The question is not, was this a good draft? The question is, how good was this draft? And we're going to delve into it, look at the picks we liked, uh, what are the picks we liked but could have been better, where are there still holes on this team, and yeah, just, I mean, to start with, I think we're all in agreement, like, overall, this was just a great draft by the Ravens. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. I There's definitely things that I, I question, but I think one thing that Sarah Ellison said really well on Ken's stream that I, like, applauded like legitimately hands were merged together in applause because I thought it was such a well-stated thing is that no one cares about your needs four years later when you look back on the draft and you're like, was it a successful draft? Like if you pick all players that are excellent now, are you really going to be that upset because they went after less, you know, maybe less premium positions? Like if you're getting all pros, do you care? And I was like, hmm, that's an interesting point, right? Like, like you won't remember in three years the needs. And I think one of the biggest things the Ravens showed in this draft in particular is that they are willing to sit down and redefine themselves live in the draft room because things happen. Let's start it off with Kyle Hamilton. They thought it was a miracle that one of the top five guys on their board fell to 14 and they could pick him. And there was no amount of trading that would be realistic for them to trade back because they got teleported to the top five, right? Like in JJ value. So they went and they picked him and now we're going to have a ridiculous defense with two guys able to play single high. If we wanted to um, just absolute chess pieces. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. I, I got to say when I was getting closer to 14, I was, I was either like, if Hamilton's there, it's definitely going to be the guy. If he's not, then Honestly, I'll say it here. I was actually I was I was gonna be okay with McDuffie. I I, I realized that like if Hamilton's gone and Jordan Davis is gone, it's probably gonna be the pick. I don't think the Ravens are gonna pick anybody else. I was like, you know, hey, McDuffie could be the new Marcus Peters. You know, it might it might work. I don't know. Maybe I'll eat my words. Um, I, I do think actually he could have been the pick later at twenty three. But well, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, great great pick. You know, obviously, I would have liked to see one of the top corners there just, you know, for a position of need. But, um, I mean, again, like, you know, you're getting a top five guy and Kyle Hamilton. It seems at first, you know, that like it might be a lot of draft in the safety position. But then again, like you have two guys there who can, you know, form that tandem for, you know, we talked about for another like five years. Like, that's awesome. I mean, we were just talking a few episodes ago about how, you know, I said it, I wanted Tyron Matthew to, you know, be the placeholder at safety for the next few years. Like, I mean, the Ravens are just like, you know, oh, you know, you wanted Matthew? Like, okay, we're going to go out and spend a bunch of money and we're going to go draft this, you know, player and we're going to completely turn over this position group and make it, you know, not just good, but but great. Uh, that's how committed they were to to really overhaul this position group. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great. Definitely a best player available uh, concept. Yeah, the Ravens really traded up by staying put. That's what they did without having to give up anything because the draft just fell to them that way. Um, I'll admit, I'm extremely shocked that they got him. I watched very little film on Kyle Hamilton because I did not think he was going to make it outside the top seven. You know, with all of the hype for people who follow these players extremely well, really delve into the draft profile saying this guy's one of the best safety prospects to come out over the past like two decades. 
it seemed to me like there were teams like, you know, we found out after the draft, the Atlanta Falcons did a ton of, of research into this guy. Um, there were talks about Detroit. You know, if you get this guy, a type of prospect like this, he's right in front of you. You can't pass it up. And again, you know, you look at this position. Is it necessarily a position of need? Maybe, maybe not. But, and I think this is why the Ravens do this philosophy. You know, you're drafting for, you know, the next, hopefully you're getting a player for at least a decade, right? And your needs can change from year to year. Look, this time last year, we were look, going into the draft, we're like, cornerback is the best position group on this team. It's the deepest. It's the least position of need. Now, all of a sudden, it's one of the top, just one year later, one season later. So, a guy like Hamilton isn't available every year. Guys like Jermaine Johnson, Trent McDuffie, you know, maybe very good players in this league, maybe not. I think those are guys you can get any year. You know, you always have a shot at them. There's a lot of draft comparisons between Jermaine Johnson and Adafi Owe. A lot of people saying they were pretty similar players. They grabbed a player you don't get a chance at very often. I think it was a great pick by them, even though it was one that I didn't see coming. I think it just made me super excited because I was starting to think about how we could use Big Nickel. I think Chuck Clark is going to be a huge part of this team still. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's the one that still gets the green dot. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's on there for 100% of plays because you can bring Hamilton up to speed in situations and keep it scoped well, and he'll still probably play 70, 80% of snaps, right? Because this guy is like, I can't, you can't say enough about him, right? He can play up high. He can play in the box. He's great on the run defense. He's huge. 604, monstrous wingspan. He gets his digits on balls all the time. I mean, the, the guy is just, I mean, he's awesome. Like, I'm so excited to watch him. And you think about it. This is, this is like exactly what you want to see the Ravens do. They have gotten so many tools and we'll talk about them in the next couple picks for this defense that Mike McDonald's going to have a field day. He could field literally any formation he wants because he has the players to do anything. There is no empty slots on this defense. If we aren't a top five defense next year in turnovers, uh, points allowed, and all the heuristics, it, like I'd be shocked. I honestly think this defense is going to be Baltimore defense. You know, like we're going back to they have all the tools. It's it's cool. Yeah, I'm I, I'm really 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 happy just in overall that the Ravens decide to focus on defensive strap, and we'll get to more of the guys a little bit later on the second third rounds. But yeah, I mean, I I I think it's it's great to kind of retool it where you know last year we were relying on a lot of these older vets, Jimmy Smith, uh, Pernell McPhee, Justin Houston, Clay's Campbell. Um, some of those guys are back, some of them are not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was very clear that you know the Ravens really need to put a lot of. Um, you know, draft capital into the defense, especially, I think the the biggest thing for me as well is just when you look at the best player available philosophy, I think it's absolutely crucial, especially this year being the last year on Lamar's rookie contract. It's definitely, you know, a necessity for the Ravens to be able to pick up players of of high positional value who they think are going to be contributors moving forward, because we're going to have even less ability to sign free agents than the years to come. And so building that core, and having a good roster for the next couple of years as, as Lamar is going to take up a higher portion of, of the, the salary cap, I think it's great. And so, yeah, out of all the years, I think, you know, 2019, 
you could say that the cost to reach a few places and wanted to go positions that, you know, we felt that we hadn't gone before, like wide receiver, double dip there. In 2020, uh, we ended up taking Patrick Queen. Maybe that was a little bit more of a reach, um, kind of more of a need pick. This year in particular, I think almost every pick, you know, maybe outside of uh, Jordan Stout was, you know, best player available. And, you know, I, I think it really is going to help pay dividends. Totally agree with everything you guys said. Um, Alec, I'm really glad you brought up Chuck Clark. You know, we've seen some rumblings on Twitter, some rumors that don't seem to have that much credence to them that Chuck Clark might be a trade target for teams. It's not going to happen. I'd be shocked. Um, you know, he's going to wear the green dot, like Alex said. You're making a defensive switch at coordinator. You want guys with super high football IQ who can line guys up, make sure everyone's in the right play, make sure that the defense is being digested by the unit as quickly as possible. Uh Chuck Clark is invaluable to the Ravens defense for 2022. We'll see after that. Um, I don't want to project too far there, but he is an essential cog for making this defense work this season. And even if the Ravens were able to get a middling wide receiver offered for Clark by some other team, I don't think they should take it. That would not make sense for what the Ravens needs are this year to maximize the potential for their defense. Or even for years to come. So we want to move on to the first pick for the offense? think so tyler linderbaum eating my words i said there was no way the ravens would spend high draft capital on tyler linderbaum they did he better be an all pro (laughs) this was the number one thing i was a little uh quirked about i just think like i was explaining to my mom when she asked me how i thought about the draft i was like well you see positional value expected value from each position i don't know like he's gonna have to be really great (laughs) to be uh kind of worth the amount of capital they put into him. And the Ravens seem to think that he will be that player. There's a lot of people who think that he'd be that player. The guy's fast as anything. He's a gazelle, man. You watch him when he's pulling and he's like doing that uh, zone um, blocking. It's, it's ridiculous. Like he, he moves. I've never seen it before, honestly. Like he, it is, it is special. So like, okay, I can get hyped about that. And I think, you know, the Ravens are building that wall for Lamar uh, the run game is they're committing uh, triple down on it and this could really work out. I, I mean, it, again, this is like the classic, like if we look back and we're like Tyler Linda bombs an all pro uh, you think it's a pretty successful draft, I guess it definitely concerned me just because of the positional value and center being kind of complimentary. It concerned me because there were corners like Booth was still on the board and he actually lasted a surprisingly long time. Uh, Booth was on the board Um Jermaine Johnson, who we were thinking about at 14, was still on the board. Something happened there that he, he actually picked the next pick. Um, there were other very interesting players still around at um, 25 where they ended up picking Linderbaum. And they actually traded back from 23 and accrued another fourth-round pick in order to um, you know kind of make the most out of that that pick. So I, I'm i still like in a wait-and-see mode about Linderbaum, but I... I I do think he has potential to be great. It's just also interesting. You know, you just talk about money, right? Five years from now, if you have an all pro center in today's dollars, that's 12 million, 13 million a year. If if five years from now, that's going to be a lot still. It's going to be big money to keep him around. Are you going to spend that kind of money on a center? Let him walk, get a comp pick. I don't know, but I guess that's a future EDC problem 
Yeah. Well, I think the the other thing is to kind of separate here is that there. So there's the the trade that actually made this happen, right? Is so uh, the Ravens sent Hollywood Brown to the Arizona. They traded the 23rd pick uh, to the Ravens. It was a swap of a, a later pick as well uh, in there. And so I, I think just from like was that trade worth it? At least from a value proposition. I like. I think it is. I know. I can understand a lot of people being upset that Hollywood was gone. He was their best receiver. I totally get it. Personally, I, I really, I really liked Hollywood Brown. I think, you know, some people think he's a little bit overrated. Um, I think he's probably right about where he needs to be. I don't, I don't think he's a superstar at this point. I think he's a really good piece. I was looking forward to him playing next year uh, with Lamar. Hopefully, you know, full uh, season because I really think that they untapped something in early 2021 and he was looking really, really great. Um, so I'm going to be sad to kind of see him uh, miss, but I mean, I think the reality of the situation though, I mean, he was going on his fourth year. We did pick up his fifth year contract, so he would have had him for two more years. Um, but after that, I mean, look, I mean, we're going to be signing Lamar. A lot of money is going to go to him. We've got Bateman behind him. Um, you know, I'm sure the Ravens are going to be putting more draft capital into receivers moving forward, uh, especially, you know, knowing how the NFL is going with that whole run of first round wide receivers. You know, every team is trying to take these receivers early because they're realizing that after this free agency period, receivers are wanting a lot of money just a ton of money and I just don't think it would have made sense for the Ravens with Lamar contract to pay Hollywood at a market rate that has kind of been set after this uh, free agency period I just don't think it was realistic so um, you're really trading Hollywood you lose two years from him but you get a player with four at least five years kind of under contract and again with the situation coming up with Lamar I just I think it was what the Ravens kind of had to do and for anyone who's like upset that the Ravens didn't pick a receiver, I guess we can have this conversation now. <laughs> um, look, I mean, it, like it, it happened during the draft. That doesn't the draft is not the only thing that happens in the off season. All right, you have mini camp, what? you have training camp, you have all like games do not start until September. All right, Eric DaCosta has plenty of time to figure out what's going to happen between now and Week One, and we're going to get it figured out, right? And the other thing, just keep in mind too, look, we've got Bateman, we've got Duvernay, we've got Proche. I'll be the first person to admit, I didn't think Proche was going to do anything this season. Well, now he's like third, maybe fourth on the depth chart. All right. He's going to be doing something this season. So, you know, Alec, Peter, anybody else <laughs> who's all in for Proche season, this is the time for it to happen. All right. Tyler Wallace. I mean, absolutely. You know, yep. they, it, look, man, here, here's the thing, right? And we'll talk about it eventually of the fourth pick, uh, a fourth round pick where they were going to try to pick a wide receiver and they got sniped. At the end of the day, they already spent fourth round pick on Tylen Wallace last year. They thought that he could have went around a half sooner. Uh, they had him highly graded and that's when they just like, all right, I guess we're going to pick him. Like, we can't believe he's still here. So they did. And I think he has potential. He definitely showed a couple flashes at the end of the year. Obviously, I'm, I'm in the bag for Prochet. Duvernay, I'm a little colder on, uh, but I do think he still brings aspects to the offense. And, you know, you sign one veteran, and the, the room's basically back to where it was last year because we never had a fully healthy room. We either had um, Watkins hurt or um, or uh, Bateman hurt, right? Like, the whole year. there was never They were never both healthy at the same time. And the overall, I mean, there's other things they did for this offense that makes me think, like, you know, you don't necessarily need to have all the wide receiver snaps. You know, the reason last year we were saying, like, you got to do use more wide receiver snaps is because that was the best players they had, 
right? The running backs were depleted. The, um, the tight end room was weak after Mark Andrews. Like we were like, the wide receivers are all your assets. Like go use them. But now they like reloaded the tight end room. They reloaded their backfield by injuries, not being a thing. Uh, and they're going to be in a whole different circumstance, <laughs> you know? So I can definitely see how it all works out. Gonna miss the hell out of Hollywood. I think we should have a, a moment of silence. <laughs> Peter, oh, Peter man. laughed in my face for that, but uh, I thought I thought it was valuable. Because so, why know, is it a moment for silence if the man if the man got his dream job? Look, man, like, just, he came I, into the NFL and he's just like, man, I love Lamar, but I don't really love Greg Roman. And he got away from Greg Roman <laughs> to go back and play with his college buddy. I, I don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, I know. I just I, <laughs> I'll never get to say Hollywood again in, in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun but uh i know the winter I, soldier is now the uh desert soldier so. <laughs> Man, there's really so much to talk about with this pick to get to the wide receiver situation i'll admit going into the draft i was getting greedy i was like we got hollywood we got mark andrews we got bateman let's add a pickens let's add an, an alec pierce let's add a jalen tolbert to the to the roster one of those guys i was really hoping that the ravens could do that and instead, they didn't get e- draft either of those, any of those three, and they lost Hollywood. And you know, Hollywood, we'll see what happens with this offense. He was an underrated red zone threat, um, could turn the field on a dime if the Ravens decided to use him that way. At the same time, though, I think as Ravens fans, I get the frustration with the wide receiver room, but in reality, we're talking about the Ravens are trying to find wide receiver number three. Mark Andrews has been wide receiver one for this team since 2019. He's a wide receiver who just happens to sometimes line up in line as a tight end. Uh, Bateman, year two is the new year three for wide receivers. Bateman, I think we can expect to have a a huge year. Um, Would not be shocked at all if he goes over 1,000. And then you're looking at a lot of teams, they have two guys who are total game breakers. And and after that, it's a bunch of role guys like Wallace, Duvernay, and, and Prochet. Green Bay, for the longest time, they had Devontae Adams there with Valdez Scantling and, and Lazard. Um, Kansas City, you had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and then a bunch of guys who I would put, you know, basically the same talent level as, as those three receivers that we I mentioned right there. Um, Cincinnati, you know, Tyler Boyd's better than uh, any of that trio, but T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are the guys defenses are really worried about covering. You know, it'll be the Ravens will probably sign a veteran. It would have been great to have had Hollywood in the mix for this year, but the way football is, you can't you can't keep everyone because of the cap. Everyone wants to get paid. Hollywood obviously wasn't getting paid here. But one thing that I do think is worth discussion: uh, this is now three years in a row that the Ravens have um, been approached by a, a former high pick who had outgrown we'll say their role on the team Hayden Hurst in in 2020 Orlando Brown 2021 this year Hollywood Brown um you know I I don't I can't look I don't let the roster right now and say that there's a name that looks obvious would happen next year or could happen next year and despite the fact that the Ravens are getting great draft capital in these in these trades um you know I, I don't really think it's something that the organization wants to continue but at the same time you look at it and it's kind of the the, you know, they've kind of maxed out best player available. The reason they're making these trades is because they're getting all these best players. And then you got two great players at one position and and they're like, wait a second, I'm not starting here, but I can start in almost any other team. And I just wonder if the Ravens look at that and think, you know, is that something that they're going to uh, look at at their philosophy and kind of 
reassess there or are they just like it's it's a it's a feature not a bug that's fine we get great draft capital out of it it's the same as as just you know letting these guys hit the open market despite the fact that you are losing a year uh that you had them on their contract for i think this is the raven's way 3.0 i think what you're seeing is the top comp pick is a third round pick. It's going to be in the hundreds. It's going to be about a hundred, a little less in JJ points, right? Like we gave up the hundredth uh, pick, which was a comp pick in the third round, the Cully pick. That was a hundred JJ points. It just happens to work out that way. And you've been trading guys, right? When we traded, um, ironically, by the way, Orlando Brown got less capital than Hollywood. Maybe mm. because like it was a out there, like we kind of like he was openly saying he wanted to trade whereas hollywood kept quiet um but anyways he uh, that that trade was only like 460 ish jj point equivalent still got a first round pick but we had to give up our second if you recall um and there was other picks involved but that pick or that trade was like 400 some this one was 660 jj points which is the equivalent of the 28th overall pick and that's way more than the hundred that you get for the comp pick. And you're able to go get a guy who we're hoping to be an all pro in Linderbaum at center. Or you could have gotten like Booth who might be like an above average corner or uh, Jermaine Johnson who might be a good edge guy. But like you're getting still like a pretty high tier player, at least in this draft, by doing this. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is that extra year of the production of that player worth three or four or five years with these first round picks even if you're going to trade them again, right? <laughs> I'm saying like three or four or five of them being elite and cheap. And like, if you're not going to pay them, I think it might make sense. I think they looked at their roster and they saw the Delta of losing a Hollywood Brown. And while it's not a lovely pill to swallow, I think they said, yeah, we can handle that. Yeah. I do want to quickly go back to that one thing you mentioned though, Peter, of that this is the third time this has happened with, uh, a draft pick and I would say um, an offensive player too and so mm-hmm. you know I you know look I mean I don't think any of us on the show are you know fire Greg Roman like on that hashtag um, all the time I do think it's interesting that you know is it is it something about the Ravens organization is it something about how we run the offense is any of that related I think for Hollywood I don't think that's necessarily a secret. I think he was a little bit frustrated with his role. It was pretty clear from year two, uh, year three, he was a little bit frustrated. Um, you know, I, I would kind of put more solace on that. But for Orlando Brown, Hayden Hurst, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Basically, I guess the question is like, would, would they have been content in their roles in a slightly different system? And, you know, different personalities like, you know, is there a scenario that these guys wouldn't have forced their way out and, and they could have been productive here for a longer period of time? Or, you know, is this, you know, again, just a result of the system of, of kind of what we're building here of, you know, trying to double dip positions that we might already have depth in order to find these guys who are really good and then have to deal with, you know, OK, we can trade them and get more value later. Maybe it's a product of the system. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think Hayden Hurst and Orlando Brown, like, they outgrew the system because Stanley's an all pro and Mark Andrews is an all pro, right? Hollywood didn't escape it because he, there was an all pro in front of him. He was, it was because of Greg Roman's scheme and, you know, just how much we value these guys. So I think that's roughly where you have to look at it. Like it is, I think it's a different situation, but it's definitely a trend and it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, 
I don't love it, but I certainly think it's the best option. I think it's a bad deck of cards to be dealt, but it's almost a product of your own success in a way. And they're, they've been remarkable at making value out of this. We got J.K. Dobbins out of Hayden Hurst. We got Odafe Owe out of Orlando Brown Jr. And we got Tyler Linderbaum out of Hollywood. I mean, they, they hit two times so far. And Linderbaum looks like almost a surefire hit. So it's probably going to be three. So it's not been wasted. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, Orlando Brown, he wanted to be a left tackle. And Hurst, Hurst is interesting. I think he just wanted to be a tight end one. Because actually, you know, if you are going to be a backup tight end in the league, a Greg Roman offense is the spot you want to be in. But, you know, the Ravens drafted him with a first round pick. Um, even if that was a reach and he really should have been a second or third rounder, you know, he saw that the market said he was a first rounder. And he was like, hey, I'm a first rounder. I should be a starter, shouldn't I? So the one problem I have with this you are getting value for guys that you weren't going to resign. That's that's the truth. We weren't expecting the Ravens to resign Hurst even when they drafted him because of the age he would be when his rookie contract um, went out. Uh, we weren't expecting the Ravens to sign Hollywood because they already put their money in the receiving room towards Mark Andrews. Orlando Brown probably not as well because of what Stanley had to get. So you are like you, Alex said, you're, you're recouping good value for it, and you're continue. You're able to keep the train rolling. The downside is you lose a year or two of that you had these players under contract for. And when you replace them with a rookie, almost always the rookie's going not going to be, you know, hitting the ground running on day one. Even Dobbins, you know, it took a Dobbins till the second half of the season to start going. So, yeah, I, I think it's something that's, it's tough. It's tough to, to say, is this a win or a loss situation? And I think you just got to look at it that the Ravens are making the best of it that they can. Before we close out on this conversation, Linderbaum, what do you guys think? I said what I thought. <laughs> I view him similar as Hamilton. You got, I understand that it's not a premium position, but it's a position you got to put on the field. And if you're able to, if the guys who have been studying this really hard say he's one of the best center prospects to come out in years, best since Marquise Pouncey, um, again, just like I said with uh, Hamilton, you can draft guys like Jermaine Johnson and Trent McDuffie. They'll be available to you every year. But is a guy like T- Tyler Linderbaum going to be available every year? I don't know. So, you know, I I think that it was it's a great it's a great shot to take. I think the only thing that kind of makes me excited is that almost everybody that we talked to said the Linderbaum is not a scheme fit. Would not work here. Doesn't matter. The only to thing me, I, I, but I'll let you finish well, only, your point. <laughs> I know, no, I, I know. The, the only thing I'm going to say is like, look, if, if he's not a scheme fit or like you know doesn't work well in this, then this for this is a pick that forces the scheme to change, right? If you want this yeah. guy to be at his max, you know, potential of being that all pro, and the system that we have doesn't allow for that, then change the system, right? And so that's kind of exciting, uh, just to you know see what we can do with that, right? Does it make sense to run a, a power running game with you know with Lamar, you know, years five through? you know nine or something like that you know maybe it makes more sense to acquire some more zone read concepts or something so we'll see you know and i'm not a scout i'm not a scout there's people who know offensive line way better than i do but to me i just want good football players i don't really care what scheme you played in college if you've got a high football iq if you've got skills then you know i think he can be coached up to play ravens football and you know doing some promotion for other people's shows on here but guests of our show coach uh and uh cole and and Ken uh, did a show recently where they were really breaking down Tyler Linderbaum's film. And I'll give credit to them because this is not something I would have picked up on on my own watching film. But I really appreciated what they were showing of how 
you know, everyone says he's undersized, how he knows that and he knows how to compensate, at least at the college level. We'll see what happens at the pro level. But to me, like, I understand the want to get guys who are prototypical size and athleticism for a position. And I'm not going to lie. I would rather have that. I would rather have a Jonathan Ogden athlete than a Marshall Yonda athlete on the offensive line any day. But even for guys who are supreme athletes, you got to know how to use the physical tools that you have to be successful. So this guy seems to know his body. He seems to know how it compares to other guys and how to uh, make the most of the tools that he has at his dispense. And to me, I, I think, you know, that is something that looks very promising for him to be able to transition to the NFL level. And we'll see, you know, I could be completely wrong on that, on that hunch, but I think that he's going to be going to be solid at the very least. And I would have loved for the Ravens to have, you know, gotten out of this draft with uh, a wide receiver. But again, I think this is a guy you don't usually have a shot at. And it seems like every season now there's like 10 or 12 wide receivers who are are decent that you can get. So, well, I think wide receiver was uh, really on the table for pick 45, but uh, Mike McDonald had other ideas. So Mike from last show, who do we pick? <laughs> oh, Jabo. That's exciting. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, I, I was even before that episode, man, I was calling out, I was calling a Jabo like months ago. Like he'd be a great pick. That was before his injury. Yeah, I mean, dude, if he comes back, I think this is a this is a great pairing to uh, to add to Oway and to add to Bowser. I mean, they're going to be under contract for a couple more years. Um, I think it could be great. I mean, Ojabo, I think is one of those guys of like he sometimes I kind of flash like more. He's more of a speed guy, kind of a little bit undersized, but also like you know he can play with power. He can you know he's got a couple of moves. You know, I, I think that he could definitely grow into a, a starting role on this team. And, uh, I mean, to be able to get him in the second, like, that's great. Yeah, we just have to hope that he returns healthy. And, you know, if he can play this year, that's great. Uh, contribute to a stretch run, hopefully playoff run. Um, if, you know, if we only get him for three years, I mean, that's okay, too. You know, as, as long as as long as long we get some production from him. Yeah, I will say um, in a vacuum, I love this pick. The reason I say in a vacuum is because I wasn't following the, the draft on Friday. I was at, at the Orioles game. Ended up spending pretty much close to the entire weekend at uh, Camden Yards. I went back on Sunday as well, took the kiddo. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, it was after the fifth inning or so, I forget, the on the on the screen at the Camden Yards, they showed that the Ravens had drafted Ojabo, and I was like, yes, let's go. EDC's killing this draft, and I was over the moon. I thought that was a great pick. And then I looked on my phone and saw what happened the rest of the draft and scrolled down and saw, there he was, right three in a row, after one after another, Pickens, Pierce, Moore. And that kind of dulled my excitement for the pick a little bit. So at the end of the day, I'm really conflicted with this pick. I'll say that much. I think David Ajabo is a dream fit for the Ravens. Uh, he does a lot of things that they love out of edge rushers in defense's past. Obviously, there's a relationship with McDonald and Owe. You know, when he gets on the field, I think they can do a lot with him. At the same time, though, we're talking about a passing league and... This is a gamble. I can't say whether or not the Ravens were right to pass on wide receiver. And I feel like I'm kind of saying both sides of the argument a lot already tonight because I don't know. I don't know if this is a good gamble by them or not. Um, but if we're just looking at Ojabo, I I think that he, he's 
got the potential to be a freak in this league. Um, you know, of course, there's the risk that he doesn't come back the same player from this injury. But I think he's young. You know, it's a lot easier for the body to recover from that at that age. So it might take him a little bit of time to get up to NFL speed just because of the recovery. And he'll be missing his, his rookie minicamp and preseason, obviously. But the ceiling of this pick is just a, a fearsome edge rush from both sides from Owe and Ajabo. He's got the twitch. You know, he's, he's a good player uh, if he comes back 100%. Uh, it's another projection, though, right? Like, we're we're projecting that he's going to come back, just like we're projecting Linderbaum's going to be able to fit and, like, clearly, you know, make the next leap into all proness. I think the thing... It's all anyone's thing, ever doing is projecting. I know. I know that we're, proje- I know we're all projecting, but I feel like these are more more projecting. Like, how many? Yeah. How much projecting are we doing? Yeah. More. <laughs> and the thing, yeah. Look, man, Ojabo has a lot of potential to be great, obviously. I mean, we were excited about him at 14 before the injury. We get him all the way back. And, you know, the, the, only, the only concern I really have, again, in, even in just the vacuum... He was a raw player to begin with, so I don't know how much he's really going to develop this year. I don't know how much he's really going to be able to contribute. He's going to be on a very tight uh, role in the first year, I imagine, as a pure pass rusher on very specific passing downs, which, I mean, he could still get a couple sacks and, and key plays. Don't get me wrong. It's just he was already raw, so you just extended that a year. I don't think you can realistically expect him to become unroll and healthy at the same time um right so that that's one part and then of course the pickens part right i thought pickens was a great pick there it pained me to no end that he went to the steelers so if he is the player i thought he'd be we have to see him twice a year if he is the next denzel mims though awesome because <laughs> i was over the moon about denzel mims and was equally upset when they passed up on him to go get dobbins that worked out and then they went ahead and uh, he got sniped the pick before um, their 60th pick. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> it happens. I We'll see what happens with Pickens. But I was conflicted about this pick. I know that there was a run on corners right before the Ravens pick. Uh, Epicady and Mafe went. So there was a little bit of a run on edge. So I, I get why Ojabo made a lot of sense there if you were looking at those position groups. And I do think it's not the worst pick at all. And there's so much potential there that I can't be too upset about it. A lot of the draft community wasn't too upset about it. Um, I just think that there's a there's a balance to be had of impact day one and ceiling. And I think both could have been true with Pickens and with Ojabo, you only know one can be true. That's fair. I would counter, though, that Hamilton and Linderbaum look like they can be day one starters. So you kind of, I guess that that made it easier to justify drafting Pickens there. Yeah, I mean, again, if we look back in three years and we got three pro bowlers in the first three picks, we're not going to be complaining. True. Very true. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the bottom line is for sure. It's like, I would not expect him to be a significant contributor on this team. Like if we're going to make a Super Bowl run, I just, I don't think Ojabo is the, the piece to kind of take us over the hump. He's there for next year and the years beyond that. 
So, and that's fine. I mean, look, I mean, you know, Ravens drafting best player available. That doesn't mean that they have to be available day one, right? Again, it's like, this is all about building the roster for the next couple of years. So yeah, I mean, we just have to hope that he's able to come back and, and be able to contribute, you know, year two. Anything that we get year one, in my opinion, like gravy. Mm. Well, here's the big one, guys. The next pick at 76, Travis Jones. People would have been excited about at 45. <laughs> so Travis Jones, a player that was projected at the edge of the uh, first round, definite second round grade, gets picked by us in the third round. Everybody on the draft network was like, how do these players keep falling to the Ravens? And it's because the Ravens are willing just to draft players, man. They 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 are one of the most willing to draft best player available. They've said it a million times. So while every other team is looking to fill a need or fill a speci- very specific like thing, you know, like the Patriots who are like, we must have center Cole Strange <laughs> in the first round. Like, you know, they're like robots picking. Like, must have fast wide receiver, fifth round wide receiver in the second round. Go. <laughs> you know, like, they, they just, they just, they're like, all right, the board says Travis Jones. Travis Jones, <laughs> defensive tackle, Connecticut. This is the, the, uh, bargain basement version of, uh, Jordan Davis. He's got the twitch, he's got the ability to create inside pass rush. This is a great pick, I think. This could be the kind of pick that the Ravens are like, wow, they got four people in the you know first four picks of all, uh, you know, maybe Pro Bowl recognition or just like very solid contributors. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll admit I haven't watched a ton of film on this guy, so I can't comment too hard on my thoughts on how he's going to fit in this Ravens defense and what his weaknesses are that may have led him to fall as far as he did for the Ravens. Um, But if you look at his highlights on YouTube, you're seeing a lot of disruption, you know, a lot of pressuring the quarterback, getting sacks, you know, he's nimble on his feet in pass rush. He has potential to pair great with Justin Matabuke and you got two young studs there uh, to solidify this Ravens defensive line for, you know, next five, six seasons. And you know, Ravens track record is pretty good with drafting these mid round interior linemen. Obviously, Brandon Williams comes to mind and um, Timmy Jernigan, uh, Dwan Edwards back in the day. You know, the, the Ravens are able to find these guys outside the first round and have them contribute for a long time. So, um, again, I, I need to watch more film on Travis Jones, but from everything I've seen and heard, um, it's a great value pick for the Ravens. Great find there. That's why I got you, Peter. I did the DL for this thing, and I told you, Travis Jones, Senior Bowl standout, and the only reason people were worried about the Ravens drafting, because they thought he had a lot of ties to the Ravens at first, was when they signed Michael Pierce. This is the classic example of, oh, they got Michael Pierce, so like maybe they don't need Travis Jones, because they play a similar position, but the Ravens were like, nope, they're just going to rotate them, everyone's going to feast. They're going to be healthy, they're going to be fresh, and yeah, like this guy was in my pantheon of... If you go and get a top plot guy like Travis Jones, go ahead, draft defensive tackle this year. If you don't, skip it. So they went, they they went and got one, man. Like, I mean, I was really happy with the pick. I and it was funny because I was doing the draft show with Ken and Coach and Jason. And when this pick came up, we were all like, Travis Jones, Travis Jones. Every single person, <laughs> they, like, who would you draft here? Travis Jones. And then they went up and they said Travis Jones. And I was like, hey, <laughs> we're so good at this. <laughs> There's just so many players to keep track of, man. It's like, <laughs> and like now that you're talking about it, no, I do remember you talking about Travis Jones in the draft preview, but I'm not going to lie. He was one of the guys who, who escaped my memory. So, but. no, I mean, no, I mean, 
no i totally get it man i'm just saying like yeah like we did talk about this guy we said like oh like, he can make a lot of sense and the fact that he fell in the third round is like yeah all right yep cool <laughs> so like Taken. those yep. picks i mean the next pick we're going to talk about too like another uh, another fall kind of guy in my opinion the ravens were very good about being like all right guys if you insist <laughs> like, <laughs> i feel like the whole draft was them saying if you insist <laughs> like i think things fell really nicely for them and they were very pleased yeah i, I gotta say i'm probably most excited for travis jones yeah, I mean, I think he he's got he's got a lot more size. I think than Justin Matabuke. Um, I think he'll pair up really well with him. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a pick like this also, like, look, I mean, I think it's one of like the the side effects I think of like best player available is like, okay, you look at the position group going into uh, the draft, I'm like, okay, we're probably set. We have uh, two vets. We just brought uh, actually three vets. I should say we brought back uh, Calais. Uh, Michael Pierce was brought back. We still have Derek Wolf. We think he's going to play another year. And then we obviously we had um, Washington and Matabuke. And we're like, oh, okay, we could probably roll with that. But like again, like you know, bringing another guy like Travis Jones, like you can contribute year one, um, at least be a depth piece and and kind of like maybe a potentially a starter moving forward. Um, you know, you start to have those harder questions of like, okay, if this guy can compete at a high level, if he's looking good in training camp, now you can make the decision of like, okay, well, does it make sense to keep a guy like Wolf around or does it make sense to keep, you know, some of these other guys around um, when you have a guy in here who's clearly kind of like better than the competition that he's, you know, facing, right? So I, I, I'm really looking forward to him. I, I hope that he can be an impact player for sure. You know, I don't think he replaces somebody like a Matabuke, but I do think that, you know, if he can play pretty well, he can kind of elevate him. All right. So now we go into the historic uh, sixth round. Fourth round. Sorry. Historic fourth round where the Ravens had six picks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, which was interesting because we actually have a little bit of an insight as to what happened here. Um, if any of you read the um, article Peter King put out, he was in the draft room for the fourth round and got a bird's eye view of how this went down for the Ravens. And the first guy they selected, as Alec hinted towards, was Daniel Mount Falele. I don't know if anyone else has given him that nickname yet, but I'm giving it to him right now. Uh, just massive human. We've talked about him on the show, obviously. He was a guy that we thought the Ravens would be interested in. The Ravens agreed. He's now a Raven. Um, really intriguing to see what this guy's able to do at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously we, you know, we had talked about this pick. I think, uh, I think Cole, when he came on the show, was, uh, you know, pounding the table for this guy. Um, would be a great pick for the Ravens. Um, what I love about it is that he is not a tackle guard tweener. He is a tackle. <laughs> Six That's right. nine three eighty three. He is not being put on the interior of this line no way. at all. Um, and I mean, you know, at best competing for the starting job this year, but he doesn't have to. I mean, we have Morgan Moses. Um, you know, we have him. We have Pat McCary. He's also in the mix of tackle, so he does not have to come in day one. Um, but he is definitely tackle depth, not this guard tackle guy. Yep, the guy's definitely a tackle. I think he's going to be a good tackle in the league. I think he could be a dominant right tackle. I think he could be complacent. Or not complacent. That's not fair. I think he could be good at left tackle. I don't know if he's got quite the quickness to excel there um and like just kind of handle what the left tackle typically does but the thing is man Falele is definitely a raw talent he's going to be a prospect that they'll have to develop but you can already see how he's trying to learn so that was one of the big takeaways is that he at the senior bowl was not relying on his signature snatch move to like <laughs> go ahead and uh you know bring down players and 
and you know win reps. He was trying to learn how to win other ways, and it sounds like he's ready to be coached up. You know, uh, he has the whole Harbaugh connection of like uh, Jim Harbaugh saw him at some camp and was like, "You should play football." And then like he didn't go to Michigan, but he 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 started playing football. And the guy's huge, like you said. Uh, he will be the largest, like heaviest person to ever play in the NFL if his weight uh, holds up. And I mean, to get him in the fourth round, great value. And I think he's going to compete for the right tackle job day one. There's a there's a world that he outperforms Moses, and we just say, all right, you're a backup. And that's that's fine because I think he makes a lot of sense to be the left tackle replacement if something goes with Ronnie more so than Flele in year one. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think it's still good to have Moses there. Veteran guy. You can teach the ropes. Um, you know, he's a bigger guy. Conditioning might be an issue. You know, I, I don't want to say it is because I'm saying because generally with the bigger players, it can be. Uh, so you might still need Moses to spell him. But um, yeah, I agree with what you said there. He also could be a very intriguing six lineman if you want to just get huge on the line. Uh, also, he played like various uh, like running back and fullback snaps in college, which I'm not saying they'll do in the NFL, <laughs> but maybe. He was also roommates like the, with... Uh, like the Nada package, Nada packages, <laughs> or like J.J. Watt packages. Exactly. Vita, Vita Vey packages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also was roommates with uh, Bateman. So it's like all these tiebacks. But the Mount, yes. Uh, very exciting <laughs> player. I mean, I remember when that pick was made, I was like, all right, fourth round off with a bang i mean every player that they picked in the first you know four picks i was like all right that's a that's a that's a solid player like even if i was thinking maybe i would go a different way it wasn't like they went crazy i was like yep very solid totally can get it like i can see how that's how their brain set right uh and yeah it was hard to be upset and the story continues if you read the peter king article Jalen Armour Davis was like the goal of the fourth round. They said before it even started, that was the one guy they really wanted. And then they went and got him, which of course was one of the people that we mocked. Alabama corner, classic Ravens pick. He um, was one of the top rated guys in some people's uh, opinion, as far as cornerbacks go. Um, High upside, definitely could be a playmaker. The big thing is that there's a bit of injury concern. um, One, maybe the reasons he slipped and, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy looks like has all the potential to be the replacement for Peters if we don't continue to have him on the team after this year. Yeah, the upside for this guy is huge. Um, I think it's great that we're drafting this type of player where he'll have a year or two years to to learn behind Marlon and Peters uh, before he'd have to be thrown into a starting role. He's got a potential to contribute turnovers to his team, even as in a reduced role. You know, he could contribute some interceptions here and there. A great value pick there, and we know that the Ravens have, for the most part, a very good track record of drafting players from Alabama, so uh, you got to be excited about this pick. Yeah, in my opinion. I mean, he slots right where Averitt left off, Averitt also being an Alabama corner, so um, I think it's a great uh, depth signing for sure. I think we were on to something in our mock draft when we said that the Ravens were going to pick up corners in the fourth round, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because EDC alluded to the fact that Stingley was one of the people they were considering trading up for. And then he went at the third pick and he was like, well, I guess we're not training up. <laughs> I know. I was so upset. Yeah. I mean, first corner off the board. So yeah, that, that was a bit of a surprise with sauce, but not too crazy. Cause I mean, Stingley is a top talent. Like, you know, 
pick your poison there. They might both be great. So this is where it gets weird. All right. I think every Ravens fan was vibing for the first six picks. You might have your quibbles, but it was like, all right, totally get it. These are good players. This is where it got weird. This is where the Ravens be, be the Ravens. And not necessarily in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, this is where things got interesting. Charlie Kohler, tight end, Iowa State, six foot six, almost six foot seven, 252 pounds. This guy, um, the most common comp for him was a Mark Andrews type. I remember reading up on him when I was doing my tight end reviews, and he had the athleticism to um, go, you know, make plays. He also is a willing blocker, definitely not his his strong suit, but um, that's going to need some work. But I saw a lot of potential for him to be one of those kind of pass-catching guys um, and contribute. And I think what the Ravens decided to do in this draft is they wanted to get bigger. They wanted to solidify the tight end room. And I think they were equally as concerned as I was when I said, I want to find a guy to fix the Mark Andrews problem because Mark Andrews is such a huge part of this offense and there's nobody that can replace him. So they went down the path of how might we have to replace him if, if the unthinkable happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, he looks like the Hayden Hurst replacement, uh, assuming Andrew stays healthy. Would maybe a Jelani Woods have been a little more exciting? Sure, but he went in the third round. So I think you got someone who's very similar. He's big, just like Woods. Um, he's was red zone threat in college. I believe I saw he had 23 receiving touchdowns. Smart guy, Mechie, 3.99 GPA. It's at Iowa State, though, so, you know, I don't know if that matters, but... <laughs> They're probably accredited. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, I think overall you can't be too upset with this pick. Um, you know, you're looking for him to be the backup receiving tight end. Uh, they could have done a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this of like, um, you know, Eric DaCosta last year did not come in with tackle depth and Ronnie Stanley was not uh, not available. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking at this year, like, okay, who were the guys on the roster that if if they went down would be a big problem and, you know, could we have somebody replace, you know, 60%, 70%. Like, you're not going to get somebody who comes in and step in and be Mark Andrews if, you know, God forbid, he goes down for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is, like, the next best thing, right, of, of having something who, you know, may not be there year one, but, like, you know, could step in and be a contributor. I certainly think he's an upgrade over Josh Oliver and, uh, you know, especially Nick Boyle, I think, in at least in the passing game. Um, obviously, yeah, it could use some development, but uh, I think it's a great pick. Again, you're making the room better. I think now, you know, by adding talent to the, some of these uh, position groups, um, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to make hard decisions in training camp and at the end of the preseason when you're making your cuts for the final 53. But uh, those are good problems to have. All right, well, the next one, I think uh, this is probably... Well, I don't want to say the most controversial pick, um, but it's definitely one of the more interesting picks this year. Uh, Jordan Stout, punter out of Penn State. I, I think the first kind of uh, talking point here is that what does this mean for Sam Cook? Uh, I, I think uh, you know certainly I, I know we all know he's he's getting up there in age. I think he's thirty nine. Um, he's been with the team since two thousand seven. Definitely the longest tenure Raven. Um, he's played the most games for anybody of the Ravens. So um, you know at if this guy is able to to come in and perform well in training camp and preseason, uh, you know the end of the Sam Cook era might be you know rather soon. 
Um, but at the very least, you know, hopefully this guy is able to, to learn from them as he can uh, throughout the, the summer. Um, and then we'll have to see, you know. Yeah, it's interesting what's going to happen with Sam Cook because, like you're saying, he's not retired. He's going to be 40 when the season starts, so you got to start thinking about a replacement soon. And I, I think, you know, I actually disagree with you, Chris. I think this is the most controversial pick um, from what I've heard because, you know, you're spending draft capital on a punter, and I'm fine with it personally, especially considering the fact that you've Ravens had six freaking fourth-round picks, and, and they only had only had five before one of their trades. So this was even an extra six-round pick on top of what you already had. You know, same thing I'll say about center, although, of course, punter's not as important as center. You got to put these positions out on the field, and if they mess up, they can cost you games. So why not get the best guy available? Um, I think what was most interesting to me was, again, going back to the Peter King article, that DaCosta said that Stout was the only guy that they were considering drafting. Um, so they had, did not have interest in, in Ariaza or at least not, you know, interest to spend a draft pick on him. If he had fallen out of the draft and they hadn't taken stop, maybe they would have taken a flyer on him. I also meant they didn't have any interest in the guy that, that Tampa took. So, yeah, I mean, to justify the pick, he's going to have to be the Justin Tucker of punters. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I don't mind it, especially because of how much capital they had. I mean, I think he has to be the Sam Cook of punters, right? Like, I, I think he doesn't have to be a legend, right? Because it's hard to be a punting legend. But if he is redefining the game or just being excellent, I think that's fine. And and they said Stout was like the only guy on their list that was um, draftable and, and of years. You know, like they don't always have a punter that they're willing to draft. Uh, so it's one of those things, too, where you're saying, all right, we got a 40-year-old. He's going to go in the next year or two. They're they're paying more attention than we are to know maybe who might pop up. And they like Stout. I mean, you know that EDC's seen plenty of him going to visit his daughter at Penn State. So he probably was like, yeah, he's good. He, I see it. And <laughs> uh, the analytics back it up, you know, far fewer touchbacks than Ariza, more inside the 10, more inside the 20, and a better average starting position. To be honest with you, everything is hang time. Phenomenal. He's honestly, analytically, a way better punter than Ariza. And yeah, like Ariza can kick it out of the stadium, but that's unfortunately a touchback, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so like it, that's like kind of the, the, the trick, right? Is yeah, maybe Stout isn't as physically impressive as Ariza or makes like crazy highlights where he's in his end zone and kicks it to the 20 and you're like, all right, <laughs> you know, like that's crazy. But he is able to um, really deliver where, I guess it matters, so to speak, with the punting. Um, so I'm I'm pretty stoked for this pick. I think Sam Cook's definitely out. I'm not going to mince words here. There's no way that they're carrying two of these guys, and there's no way they're letting Stout like had the opportunity to be lost. So mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's over for Sam Cook, and, and that's sad. Like definitely, you know, a moment of silence for the Wolfpack uh, falling one another member this year. God, someone put put Tucker in bubble wrap. We can't have him be next in a year. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely, they're overturning the room, you know, and Stout has a lot to learn. You know, he needs to become a good holder. That's actually a, a major thing with the rise, by the way. He was lefty. So like the question was, can he hold it? Right. Could he be a good holder? Uh, and I think that's, that's a point that I didn't even think too much about when I was just looking at his punting. Um, oh yeah. I guess you can't even be on the other side because you're in way of Tucker. Yeah, I mean, you have to like go with the non-dominant hand, and maybe he can do it. It's just yeah, it's yeah. a thing. So, anyways, I think it's it's fine. Uh, 
what happened next is that apparently in the Peter King article, uh, Calvin Austin, wide receiver, zippy doo da day guy, you know, four, three, two, forty. He went one pick ahead of us to the Steelers, so we were unable to draft him. That was the intent with the next pick. So I had to go and get Alex Guy, my guy, Isaiah Likely from tight, uh, Coastal Carolina. The guy is what they called a playmaker. Like, they can't run to the card up and just say playmaker, but uh, <laughs> they, they said that they, they plan to use him all around the formation. They don't necessarily see him as just a tight end. And I think that that makes sense. Uh, he's definitely a, a pretty electric guy with the ball in his hands. He plays way faster than he tested. Um, I think he could be lined up in many different ways. I think, you know, 13 personnel could be back and it could be strong. You know, I think these guys are all got the athleticism to be mismatches and block. And I think it's fine. Like this pick screams. The Ravens are very okay with going back to 2019 where they had Hollywood Brown and nobody else as wide receivers. And that was a prolific offense that worked extremely well. And I think if we're scoring 35 points a game, blowing out teams, controlling the ball, I just don't care. <laughs> like that is totally fine. So if the Ravens want to go back and do that and run it back, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one criticism, I'm sure we'll talk about it plenty in the offseason, you know, that you can poke in that argument is um, that offense, although it didn't have that many opportunities to do so, wasn't the best at, at climbing back from a deficit. Um, but again, I think that there's a lot we can talk about, about, you know, how recreating the 29 offense in 2022 will work during the off season. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you sold me on Isaiah likely during the pre-draft Alec. I think this is a, a really interesting pick for the Ravens. Like you said, you can line them all over the place. Uh, people who want to see lesser card, this might mean you see lesser card. You know, he's obviously doesn't have the size of Ricard, but if he can do, you know, some of the things that Ricard can do and his better receiving threat, you know, you might, we might see Ricard phased out. And in regards to Calvin Austin, I, I understand the people who are, are kind of bummed out about that. I will admit, you know, Calvin Austin, he was a guy that when I was first researching wider series for the draft that did catch my eye at kind of as like a, a poor man's Hollywood Brown. Um, and sure, then we don't have Hollywood Brown. You can get Calvin Austin, who has a similar skill set, but... I, again, I, I look at Calvin Austin, and he didn't impress me as much as some of the guys who ended up going in the second round um, or early third. And I just, I, I think if they got him, that would have been great. But I also don't think that he's any better than Duvernay, Prochet, or, or, or Wallace, or has any more potential than those guys. So, you know, I, I look at that as kind of like a would have been cool if we got him, but certainly not anything that I'm like losing sleep over. And, you know, I, th I think you got, you weren't able to get that uh, pass catcher, but you got another one instead. So, yeah, I, I'd have to look at the board. I mean, I, I think whether we could pick Calvin Austin, this pick is, I mean, it's irrelevant because he was picked one pick before that. So, I mean, you'd have to move him, you know, you would have had to pick Austin at Stout's position and then hope that Stout falls. And maybe uh, you probably don't himself. get Stout because um, Tampa Bay yeah, probably right, takes him. It, Right, there was a there was a run on punters at that point. Well, not a run, but <laughs> two know, two I team run, two, <laughs> two team run. But uh, no, I mean, likely he could be good. Like we'll see. Um, this could be a shit pun. Um, excuse me, but uh, I feel like it's unlikely that he is a guarantee to make the roster. I think he's definitely a long shot. 
I mean, you know, I think the Ravens have to be super disappointed with like Nick Boyle in, in training camp, I think, for him to kind of be out. Um, and I just think it, it would be it would be really bizarre, I think, for the Ravens to carry four tight ends and Ricard. Um, and I mean, you know, I just I think that the numbers I think are going to work against him. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. I think we're going to hear his name a lot more in um, in the offseason in training camp. But I, I do think, um, based on on who we have right now, I think uh, Charlie Kohler I think would be in the front runner. I think for that position over uh, the at least the third tight end position over Josh Oliver. I will admit the roster looks extremely weird right now. Obviously, an uh, injury is something that will inevitably fix some of this. But um, honestly, I think it's not crazy if they go away from Boyle. Not that I love it. But it wouldn't shock me if he's not all the way there with these kind of picks. It kind of suggests that maybe he isn't. And I honestly would push back and say I don't think they drafted likely not to have him on the roster. And I know we've been doing the, the shenanigans of drafting players and trading them or, you know, moving completely along uh, like we did with Mason. But I think honestly, I'm worried about Boyle at this point because we don't know what they know and this doesn't look particularly promising for him. And I also, I'll say one last thing. If they truly think of him as a, as a quote unquote playmaker, if you look at the roster right now, they got four wide receivers. They're likely to add a fifth, but they typically carry six that could go to wide receiver or go to tight end and he could be a tweener. So the numbers are weird. I will fully admit that. I mean, you look at the defensive line and it's ridiculous this year mm-hmm. there's a lot of players there and if they bring houston back like they put the tender on him that's another player that's like in that edge you know front seven situation that isn't accounted for right now there's a lot a lot of players there so the numbers are weird i hate to say that injuries are going to probably fix the problem and there won't be a problem for the ravens when it comes down to it but it's uh it's interesting for sure right now the team is for all the holes that we said we had and how we wanted all these picks uh suddenly like the way that they did it all right they're all at the same spot so how are they going to carry them yeah yeah you know this one's be another interesting thing to watch as the offseason goes on preseason um i do think there is some credence to chris's point though again circling back to the peter king article which was you know like we said gleaned quite a bit from that you know the the first four guys they drafted in the round if, if peter king's you know um if i'm reading what he said correctly were guys that they Th- those were the guys they were targeting for the fourth round, um, including Calvin Austin. And then once Calvin Austin got picked, it was, you know, they were kind of going down and, and picking guy and trusting draft evaluations of, of, of guys. Um, you know, scouts liked these guys. Um, I believe they said that, that Harbaugh, uh, asked Greg Roman quickly if he thought that Isaiah likely would be someone they could do something with. Um, and then with the next pick to Marion Williams, there was, I hear you chuckling there. <laughs> I just thought it's funny because it brought me back to you impersonating Roman, which gave me oh. laughter all week long. I literally kept thinking about you in that role and it just, it kept making me giggle. It I'm going like, to keep my job. <laughs> so maybe not now. Cause we didn't get pickings. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just mentioned me like Roman. Can you use him? And, you're like, and he's like that employee that always says yes and then tries to figure it out later. He's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> hey, you know that, that could be the case. Yeah. Um. And then Demarion Williams, from my understanding, you know, 
there was someone on the scout team who, who had studied him pretty hard and, and was really advocating for him and 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 Acosta, you know, ceded to his judgment on that. Um, you know, that's not telling the whole story of what everyone in the room thought about these guys, but from the way I read the article, these last two picks were kind of like, sure, why not, guys, rather than guys that the Ravens had, you know, big plans for initially. So we'll see what happens, you know. Um, but there's certainly intriguing things here with uh, Likely. And then Demarion Williams, I, again, I have to confess, I didn't do all my homework for this pod. Oh, no one did. No one, no one, well, yeah, no well, one knows no, this guy. Well, like, <laughs> You know, no one, no one knows who this guy is, right? It was the classic, like, who? You know, this was the, the Brandon Stevens of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's that classic, like, tiny, scrappy Tavon Young clone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he's small, small wingspan, light. I mean, yeah, it's you couldn't, you couldn't really draw it up much better than this as far as replacing Young. Right. Well, I think, it, I think it's hilarious. If you would have told me, like, Oh, we got this uh, really small corner out of what college? Houston. Yeah. I would have been like, "Oh, Marcus Jones! Hell yeah, we got him. That's <laughs> awesome." But no, he went in the third round, so we got his teammate. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, certainly, like, look. I mean, he's he's gonna be a depth piece. Um, certainly helps with corner depth. We don't have a lot of it. Um, he's gonna have a chance to compete. Hopefully, he's good. If not, it's a flyer. At the end of the day, I have to kind of remind myself that <laughs> most draft classes, um, you know, you're you're lucky if you get like you know two or three like solid contributors, uh, you know, four or five years down the line. So I, I, as as much as it pains me to say that, you kind of have to temper expectations and be like, oh man, they might be really really good fits now. <laughs> they might actually not pan out. Um, so like it's it, it it's just reality. So um, yeah, with a guy like Demarion at the end, like. You know, is is he like you know the best prospect? Maybe not. I mean, maybe you know, in a weird world, like he becomes one of the better prospects in you know four or five years from now. But more than likely, like there's gonna be a few of these people here who we think are really good that probably aren't gonna pan out. I I, I hate to bring that up during Williams because that makes me like I feel like I'm crapping on him, but it's just it's just something I want to bring up. <laughs> now you're right, and you can't really beat 2018 because of Lamar. But honestly, the way they drafted this. I'm pretty confident to say today that no, the Ravens did it. Every single player here is going to play, and this is why, right? Like, just go, just go through it real quick. Hamilton and Linderbaum, they're going to be studs. Ojabo has too much potential not to at least, like, make the field, um, you know, just hoping that he gets healthy. Travis Jones is good. He's going to play for sure. Um, Folele, a bit of a project, but he has so many physical tools. Like, it's hard to believe he won't be at least adequate, right? Armor Davis, same thing. Got all the tools, well-regarded, big school. We know what we're doing there. Tight end, we always draft two, and the second's always elite. So likely he's going to be the greatest player to ever play. And Stout can't lose. He's a punter. It's the exact same, right? Like, <laughs> there's there's like no uh, projection whatsoever. You kick the ball as best as you can, as high as you can, as long as you can, and pin the ball. Like it's it, it's identical. Like maybe they get there a little bit faster, so you have to make sure you're like punt it extra fast. I don't know, but like I feel like it's basically the same. So I think you can say with pretty good confidence they got a lot of players that are going to be here for a while. Like I think they were very safe. <laughs> that guy's is hashtag analytics. Yeah, it's yeah. Stout just analytics. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny though because like literally when I, i'm sure they do a lot more tape watching but i feel like 
in a way, punters are almost the number one thing that you could just throw into a spreadsheet and be like, yeah, that's the one. That's that looks like a really good one. <laughs> like, like because it's just how how well it projects. Let's let's wrap it up. So like they did their big fourth round, six picks later, and they came back in the sixth round. They're like, all right, finally we're gonna go get our running back. They had the patience. We did not. They went and got Tyler Beatty, running back out of Missouri. I love this pick. When I saw it, I was very excited because I've known about Beatty for a long time. The analytics community has been talking about him as a guy to watch out for. And his receiving chops are undeniable. And despite being 5'8", he's well built, right, at 194 pounds. And if you watch his running style, he'll remind you of Jamal. Obviously, a different build, but he has those choppy steps. He runs with decent power. And again, he's a good receiver. So I think he's going to find a role. I think Tyson season's over. Like, I'll just, I'll say it. Tyson season's over. I think Beatty's going to be the third. I think Hill season's over because of his years of control. And I'm very excited about this pick. Yeah, and we want to uh, thank the New Orleans Saints uh, for forfeiting their six-round selection due to multiple COVID-19 uh, violations because maybe they would have picked him right before and uh, wouldn't have gotten him. But <laughs> I actually didn't even notice that happened. I was just looking at that right here in the draft recap, and it just says... Big selection forfeited right above the Ravens. Anyways, great value pick here. Uh, he's got showcase great receiving skills in college, and that's really what you're looking for right now because Dobbins and Edwards, they're great at running the ball. They're okay is probably the best you could use to describe them as receiving threats. Um, now, we know Lamar doesn't really like to throw to a running back as a receiver very often, um, but, you know, Maybe that'll change, and if that will, you could see him have a pretty big third down role even in year one for this offense. I love it from a depth piece. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think he definitely has the is the front runner for RB three. Yeah, and I mean, I think at this point, like that's all you can really ask from him. I mean, if I, I certainly hope he's not having significant snaps uh, because that would mean that either Edwards or, or Dobbins aren't back. Um, but if he has to, like. So be it. I think it's good. Um, I certainly don't think from what we've seen from Hill and what we've seen from uh, Tyson that, you know, they're just they're, they're not the guys. They haven't really shown the ability to kind of take over games. So um, I think Beatty would be a uh, nice change of pace. In the undrafted free agent pool, the Ravens picked up every single wide receiver over 6'3 or 6'4. Uh, that could be a prototypical X. I'm sure there none of them are going to work out. Um, <laughs> just kind of how it goes. <laughs> so that, that's, I mean, I, I just thought it was funny. They, they got like three or four of them. So, uh, got a lot of linebackers too. Big linebacker energy. So yeah, keep an eye on those guys during camp. See if any of them rise up, but none of the names were like particularly interesting players that I, uh, knew about that got undrafted. Oh, what are you, what are you talking about? Slade Bolden. He's the guy. He's the guy. Bolden and Bateman, all right? They're going to be great. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, he's from man. Alabama, so maybe. <laughs> he's from Alabama. He's a, he's a scrappy little, you know, white guy. Um, I don't know, in the mold of <laughs> Julian Edelman or something. Um, maybe like a Cole Beasley. Uh, but yeah, dude, uh, Bolden, he's going to be he's gonna be the next great receiver. Book it here. Sure. Why not? Five, five foot 11. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> not not no, the same pantheon I'll, I was talking I'll, about, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a very different receiver. Um, no, I, there's a, I don't know, I must have found a weird, uh, a weird little, I guess, like cult following on Instagram or something of uh, of <laughs> Bolden. So I figured I, I mentioned his name, but 
Um, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he could also just turn out to be a Michael Campanero, in which case, okay. We'll see. Well, I think we obviously went long talking about all these players and their implications. Lots of hap- things happen. An unexpected trade that made us go like, what the heck? You know, um, this extra fourth round pick, they actually took them all. They didn't use them as trade capital to go trade up. Um, they didn't trade back because they, they actually, again, Peter King, great article. It'll be in the show notes. Go read it if you haven't. Uh, but they were like, yeah, we're not going to trade back either because we kind of like where the board's at right now and not where it might be later. They say they went into day four with 31 draftable players or like targeted players, I guess, not just draftable, but targeted for that fourth round. And they got six, so it doesn't seem too bad. We'll talk about all the impacts, scheme, going down the line as you know, camp arises and we see how they fill out the rest of the roster. Maybe they'll go get a veteran wide receiver uh, like Landry or uh, Fuller or Julio Jones, which I know is very com- controversial, but you know we'll throw that out there. <laughs> uh, you know they're, they're going to do more work to this roster. They're definitely going to get some more pieces. We'll see if Houston signs. So there's lot, lots of things going on. We'll get into that over the rest of the season, but thanks so much for listening and getting through all these picks, all 11 picks that the Ravens made. Ooh, big move. Uh, the roster has been replenished. Uh, lots of really interesting guys at the top. Lots of very interesting guys at the end. I think every single pick has a lot of potential. We'll see how they play out. Uh, you can find us Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. Email us feedback at ravensrecap.com. And we'll be back soon with way more information about this draft class and what it means for the Ravens. So, Peter, where else can you find us? Well, very soon, you'll be able to find us at our new rebranded name, although the call it new name would be a bit of a, you know, not quite telling all the facts because it was our original better choice for our podcast (laughs) way back in March 2019, I believe, you know, all those eons ago before pandemics and everything else. One winning podcast. That is what we will be rebranding our name to. Um, I lost the vote back then, two to one, and for reasons unbeknownst to me, we decided to keep the vote for the name in-house and not extend it out to the general population, in which case I would have won by a landslide from the (laughs) crowdsourcing we've done recently. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'd said back then, guys, you know, it's a little too generic. People might get confused, might not be as easy to find. And what do you guys come to me with? just a couple months ago hey guys we gotta we gotta change the name it's a little too generic you know people people are having a hard time finding us <laughs> yeah yeah we're never gonna live it down <laughs> peter was right but yeah one winning pod uh we already have the twitter handle but we'll be switching over the twitter so don't worry about having to refollow us there that will be seamless the podcast feed we are going to try our best to make it seamless but we will um, let you guys know um, so make sure to follow us on Ravens Recap. That will be switched over easily. I've done that millions of times. I know how that works. It's very simple. <laughs> uh, that will get changed over. And then the um, uh, you can email us, feedback at ravensrecap.com, like we've always said, if you want to get like a personal notification. We, like If you email us and we will send you an email out being like, hey, we changed it. Here's the feed. Go subscribe in all your podcast players uh, in case the, the thing isn't seamless. But we're going to try our best to make it seamless. We actually have... Because we're all engineers here, we've created a test environment. So we actually have a podcast feed that we're going to try to transition first before Ravens Recap. So uh, we will do our best. But yeah, this is uh, pretty exciting. One Winning Pod, you can look at your podcast player right now. You'll see the new artwork. And uh, 
we really thank EDC Burner for working with us to help with the rebrand. If you made it all the way to the end, tweet hashtag one winning pod, one Arabic numeral winning pod. Uh, and we'll know that you made it to the end and we'll appreciate it. Get the word out that this is uh, our rebrand. We'll see you soon.